0: Rochester in the 83 says this too but it, it, it hurt more because it was Dame Judy Dench that he was talking about in this version when he calls Jane to like talk to him he's like, I can't talk to children or simple old ladies and it cuts to Jade, Dame Judy Judge's Dench's face and she's like, well that went a bit far. <laughs> it was just like, yeah ouch, she's nice and she's probably I mean, related to you.
1: Honestly she's so much better than you <laughs> Michael husband can't
0: do anything <laughs> Don't even breathe the same air as our dame. You um, are not worthy. Well, hey, Lillian, welcome back. What's going on? <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for welcoming me back. I'm so excited. I
1: just watched another version. Of Jane Eyre.
0: Oh my gosh, this is the second version you've seen. What did you think? Any initial okay. reactions? I
1: have so many thoughts, but I actually really <laughs> want to know what you think first because oh. I have very strong feelings that are not going to change. And I'm very <laughs> curious as to what you think about this one.
0: Okay. Yeah. I would say so. My first thing about this is that so it's Michael Fassbender, right? Mm-hmm. As our Mr. Rochester. For me personally, I don't find him nearly as attractive as a 1980s uh, Timothy Dalton. I've, <laughs> I'm always <you> seen, don't. <laughs> I've always seen Michael Fassbender as kind of like a shark man. Like when he opens his mouth really wide, he's got so many teeth. So I, I was wondering, I was like, I wonder how Lillian will rate the attractive scale of this Rochester compared to all the others we will see. So for me, I mean, I, I like his I like his voice and his presence, and that's all really sexy. I personally don't find him visually super hot, especially the way that we see him at the end of the film, which we will talk (laughs) about. But so for casting, I thought performance wise, very good. Appearance wise, um, technically very good because for me, I don't find him attractive and he's not supposed to be hot. So they got that one. They aced that. (laughs) I would say initial reactions about like at least comparing to the previous Version that we've seen is for me, it's felt very art housey. Uh, the cinematography is immensely better. I mean, it's it's several decades after, like when the 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 previous one that we watched was made. So they're they're going for a way. They have a higher budget. They have a better aesthetic. I thought a lot of the characters were more likable. Some characters less likable, but that's we can discuss later. But these are some of my initial things. So I thought it was very pretty, very well acted. I, I'm not sure if I like it personally better than the parts that I love about the 1983 version. So these are just some of my initial musings. What about you? Tell me the things that you refuse to change. (laughs) So here's,
1: here's the reason I wanted your initial reaction first. I absolutely loved this version. Yay! And I don't, I first caveat on it before I go into all the reasons I loved it. I don't know if it's because I know the story now, so it was less mm-hmm. jarring to watch these people do these things that felt insane to me, right. but I felt like this corrected for all the things that I found really annoying in the last one. Mm-hmm. I actively disagree and think Michael Fassbender is super hot. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that Timmy is not... He just doesn't float my boat quite as much as he floats yours.
0: Which is okay. Um, Everyone has a a Mr. Rochester out there that's made just for them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I have super specific things that I want to talk through with all this stuff, but I found every character more sympathetic or more likable at the very least with the past version, the one that the 83 version that we watched, I felt like there were so many character moments where I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why do you (laughs) think this is a good idea? And I never found myself asking that with this one, like all the character moments, even the ones that I was like, oh, I see this now. Like I can see the emotion here in a way that makes me care about it more. Mm -hmm. Now, the again to talk about the most important thing and apparently the thing that we own the only thing we care about in the high level synopsis is <laughs> the Mr. Rochester. I will say as a person, mm-hmm. I tend to be more attracted to personalities mm-hmm. than physique. Yeah. Um, or like face.
0: Yeah. Or just good and important. Shark
1: teeth, shark <laughs> yeah. teeth.
0: Shark teeth. Shark um, teeth. They did not scare her away. She's like, mm, I wasn't at me scared. At <laughs> yeah.
1: But I just found this Rochester like So much more sympathetic. I found the chemistry Mm -hmm. between Jane and Rochester so much better in this than the like I wouldn't have named the chemistry between Jane and Rochester as a problem in the Mm -hmm. 83, because I had so many other problems with the 83. (laughs) But comparing it to the chemistry here. I yes. believe these two are in love yeah. in a way that I didn't believe it yeah. <laughs> in the
0: 83. No, I, I totally see what you're saying. I felt in watching this one, because this is my second time watching this version, that what stood out to me, I think Jane's personality and her, uh, her wit, the way that she matches his wit and challenges yes, him, yes, that yes. is done so much better in this version than it was in the 83 one. And so, yeah, I agree. That's I think where a lot of that chemistry came from is her sitting there and kind of making these kind of snide remarks. I mean, she's like we said, she's reading the same lines, but she's doing it with a bit of confidence and sass that we Mm -hmm. didn't see before. And so therefore it's like, oh, this is like flirting. You guys are both into it. It's cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think like one of the big things is I think the way we talked about this with the 83 version about how it's like a very faithful adaptation, Mm -hmm. but it's more, I I almost want to say it's more direct. Like The way I mean, I talked a lot of my criticisms were around like the way people said things that seemed really bizarre, or they spent a really long time watching people walk across a room and things like that. (laughs) Where I think this takes advantage of the medium to tell the same story, but with the advantages of like the moments of quiet aren't Mm -hmm. about the characters walking across the room or like establishing a new space or anything like that. They're about giving like there's a there's a moment where after the fire when Jane is going back to her room she stands at the door yes. and we see her like taking off her nightgown getting ready to go back into her bed and she's just like you can tell that she's thinking about him so it's a moment of quiet mm-hmm. that films deserve but it's building this character of like oh i can now see that Jane has a crush on him. Yeah, she, She's got the hots <laughs> of her boss. <laughs> What's and, a girl to do? <laughs> so they do a lot of that stuff where like, instead of it being a voiceover where we're like, I don't know, like, I guess like, then I found Mr. Rochester and he was like, it's a lot more show don't tell kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And I, I I think the way, the order that they tell the story, they switch up the order a little bit, which I think is the biggest in terms of like plot flow. Where in the 83, they tell it like she starts as a child and it goes through, she becomes an adult, all that stuff. Yeah. This they start with her leaving. And mm-hmm. we know that because we know the story, but if right. we didn't know it. So here's a here's a context of my watching experience. I watched with my mom. Oh, cute. <laughs> so I made, my mom was visiting me today. And so I made her watch with me. Very nice. And I she asked, I asked her if she wanted to watch this. And she goes, Do you think I would like it? And I was like, I don't. which really sold her on it but I ended up so I think lowering her expectations coming in maybe helped a little bit she didn't know what was happening so there was lots of times where like I was looking over at her being like what's going on so the the time jumps of it starts with her leaving Mm -hmm. and then she finds who we know are her cousins but Mm -hmm. they actually don't make them her cousins in this.
0: I know. There's some interesting choices uh, of changes that they make in this for the plot and everything. And I think that was part of this, this writer's adaptation is they were like, that's like maybe a little too, oh, what luck. Like you've wandered through the moors after this horrible disaster and you just fall at the doorstep of your family that you didn't know you had.
1: I had so much more sympathy for this Jane, like even leaving. Like I had so much more sympathy for her because it starts with her like 83 jane i realized i had no sympathy for her when she was a vagrant because <laughs> she just does a series of really stupid things yes it's the comparison of like she decides to leave she packs up a bag she goes and takes this carriage that she gives them all of her money then she leaves her stuff she gets off in the middle of nowhere knowing that it's the middle of nowhere and <laughs> then she sleeps in the moors and i'm like yeah. i just like don't care you seem so dumb where <laughs> This one, she ends up in the same situation, but how she gets there, it's like, she's so distraught. She doesn't really know what she's doing. Yeah. And she has a bag, but it's like sort of bizarre. And she climbs out a window and the way the crying on a rock makes more sense to me than laying down to go to sleep on some moss.
0: Like, (laughs) well, we see that in this movie too. There is in one of the flashback of her and the more scenes, we do see her taking the little moss nap. So yes. that's still there,
1: super <laughs> critical. so so that's where this movie starts, and then it cuts back to her childhood, which mm-hmm. we talked a lot about how they spend too much time on the childhood previously. Mm-hmm. The moments are so much each individual moment is so much more emotional and it's much more condensed. Oh, yeah, so they give us, I think it tells the story of her childhood trauma in a way that actually feels more realistic to me, mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like if somebody's telling you, How scarring their trauma was, like how their scarring their childhood was. They don't go. Well, I was born in 1840, and I
0: the long version. (laughs) Let me
1: tell you about the exact uniforms that we wore and how we walked in these lines, and there were these bells. Let me tell you about the bells. Well, so Um,
0: I think that leads into a really good point of a scene of dialogue that we get between. Jane in Rochester that we didn't see in the 1983 version, you know, when he's asking her, he's like, cause she's a governess and he's like, tell me your tragic tale, your tale of woe. I think he says, and she says, I don't have a tale of woe because Jane is this kind of person who's like, I've seen actual suffering. And though I myself have suffered, it is not my place to say that my life is sad compared to other people like my friend, Helen, who got sick and died. And so I think that kind of plays into that too there where They do a nice job of giving us a brief summary, a brief look into her childhood and her sadness. But it's the same thing of when she's sitting in that chair and she says, I had an aunt. She hated me. She sent me away. Uh, They disciplined me in this school, but I got an education. Uh, That's all you need to know. Yeah, it sucked, I guess, but I'm here and I'm still living and now I have a decent life. Let's move on. So I like that kind of parallel.
1: It's the show don't tell thing, right? Like Instead of Mm -hmm. it being every time somebody in the 83 version was like, Jane, you're so intense. I was like, is she that (laughs) intense? We're like this Jane, she's, she's obviously polite and she lives within the society and she respects that. But like, The example for me that was the real difference was when she's looking out that window and Mrs. Fairfax comes in right before we meet Rochester. She's looking out a window to this beautiful landscape. Miss Fairfax comes in and like asks why she seems sad and like, doesn't she have a good life here and all that stuff. And she gives this little speech about how, Men can go out and see the world, and her world is limited to the horizon. And I'm like, that is the Jane gener- Eyre that everyone else was telling me about, and just like the way that she talks about sort of everything, and the way that she talks back to Mister Rochester, where she talks to him like he's an equal, yeah, in a way that like. He, Mr. Rochester told us he she was talking to him like he
0: was an equal in the last one. Right. Where this one, I really see that. Right. I think that is probably a product of it being a more recently made film. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the more we make this movie, the more progressive the adaptations probably will become. I would be very curious, obviously, when you and I are old ladies still doing this podcast, <laughs> to <laughs> see like what is the cybernetic, uh, futuristic take on Jane Eyre? <laughs> yes. And how does that story continue to evolve?
1: Based on the frequency of the adaptations of Jane Eyre, we're due for another one. I so, do have a little bit of dialogue written down from when she does meet. Um, so from that same conversation you're talking about right after she does meet Mr. Rochester, that I think is one of my favorite points in it. And I think it's a similar dialogue to what we saw previously, but I also think kind of talks about that same difference in the way, in the way that they have chemistry in this. And it's such a subtle shift. He talks, so he's talking to her, they're sitting down, he's saying the same things. Like he, he says, That he's going to draw her out, right? Which is something that I really mocked in the last one. And he, but he says, "Were you waiting for your people with her? Why? Why was she out in the woods?" And he, and she sort of confused and like asked him what he means by that. And he says imps and elves and little green men and she said they're all gone because this like in like immediately like back with him bantering yes no hesitation no discomfort just like meeting him at that same level of intensity Mm -hmm. and the looks on both of those their faces is like oh this is a fun game and I like
0: this totally totally and I'm just like impressed with her ability to have that kind of immediate back and forth reaction because when she's at that window scene talking to mrs fairfax i think that's when she says i've never seen a city i've never spoken to a man and -hmm. all these other things and so if i've never talked to a guy in my entire life and my first like real conversation with him i'm doing toe-to-toe witty banter with this dude give me a like a gold star please (laughs) i can't even do that now most times yeah So very impressive for Jane. Well done. Okay. So I like that we've addressed um, one of the major narrative changes of them starting us kind of in the middle and Mm -hmm. kind of flashing back and forth between her sadness at the end of the story and her sadness at the beginning of the story. And then there's a big chunk in the middle where we just see her living her life at Thornfield and going through that until we go back once again to the kind of timeline of the plot. A few other major things that stood out to me that I think are important to address. So... I said this in our first episode, I believe, because the 1983 version, even though they decided to spend several episodes in her sad school and childhood, they did not show us the death scene with Helen, which I think is pretty important. And one thing that really stood out to me about that scene, so that is in this version. And when Jane is laying in bed with her dying friend, one of the only people we've seen thus far to ever show her compassion or kindness, her friend says to her, she's like, you know, are you afraid to die? And she says, no, because she's very faithful. She's like, I'm going to go on to heaven. That's where my father is. It's going to be great. But she's still like kind of scared. And she's like, don't leave me. Stay here with me. And Jane makes the statement. She's like, I will not leave you. I'm going to be here with you. And the note that I wrote down about that, about why this scene is important, is I think because Jane devotes herself to anyone who offers her companionship because it's something that she hasn't received before, which I think is good to show us as an audience for when we are introduced to Rochester and him being, yes, still a dick bag, but at least he is kind of having this like slightly even playing field. He's bantering with her. He's like, oh yeah, we're equals. He gives her that. And so now we already have seen previous examples of Jane saying, okay, someone wants to respect me in some way or be my equal, be my companion. I'm sticking with you. And we have that scene here too, where he kind of questions her on that when Uh, the brother-in-law arrives from Jamaica and he says before he's even met with him, he says to Jane, if everyone in that room, because he has this party over all these guests, he's like, Mm -hmm. if they were all to like leave and scorn me, would you leave with them? And she says, no, sir, I would stay with you. And he's shocked by that. So it's like her devotion and and also him needing someone to like stay by his side, no matter what. I thought that was done very well.
1: On an equally sincere note, I think we did miss a really kind of critical character building moment where we start to understand Rochester more as someone who's crazy wants to gaslight everyone, which is he never dressed up as a gypsy.
0: I know they took that one out. Lily and I, most modern versions that I've seen so far, they remove that scene because they're like, ooh, we maybe, <laughs> maybe not have done this. This, this
1: is <laughs> problematic for a myriad of reasons
0: <laughs> yes so there was none of that there was no uh very long charades game <laughs> yeah the, the other thing this movie removed that i thought was really interesting was there's no like red herring of grace Poole until like the very end he only says her name right when he's taking her his bride up to the the tower to show them the truth we don't have Jane thinking that Grace Poole is the one who's doing all these wacky things. Instead, there's this story that Adele tells about this weird woman who walks the halls at night, can fade through walls, and drinks people's blood. So it kind of switches this ghost and madwoman thing with this kind of a vampire idea, which I really liked because when she then attacks her brother, he's bit in the throat, and that plays really well into this idea that there is a vampire hiding away in this house, and I liked that change.
1: I also think that just in general, they they do the kind of scary creepiness in a much more subtle way. It's mm-hmm. like the laughter sounds quiet enough that it could be the wind, right? Like it's right. it's not clearly a woman laughing. Um, and like the creepier moments, again, like I don't know what I would have thought of that if I had, didn't know the story going in. And it's not even clear why the fire starts, where in the 83 version... Uh, do we see her run out of the room? Am I remembering that correctly?
0: We don't see her run out of the room. We Jane goes into the hallway and there are candles that are in the hall on the floor. One is tipped over, and I think right when she comes out, the door to the tower slams shut. So Yeah. yeah. So
1: so we get this evidence that like it there was something happening where like this, we've no idea where this right. came from. We don't know what's going on. He runs off, but in a way that feels more legitimate to me. We're like, in the, in the 83, she's like upset and he just kind of pulls at her and leaves. We're like in this one, and it's such a subtle moment, but like he puts a, like a jacket or a blanket or something around her and then he leaves. And it's like, there's something a little bit softer about that, that I enjoy.
0: I also enjoyed that tender moment, but I have to correct you. Timothy Dalton also was a gentleman and wrapped his coat around that itty bitty lady before (laughs) he left. (laughs) This is just my bias against your poor sweet Timothy who deserves
1: (laughs) all of our respect and love.
0: Since we're on the flaming bed scene, I was so shocked to see like there's a part where he... So first of all, I felt like he was very chill at first when he was getting up. He was like, whatever, my bed's on fire, doesn't matter. But then when he was like actually jumping around... We get like such a flash of like his bare thighs, and it's like very clear that he's like, I'm like, dude, he's wearing a shirt and nothing else. And then My there's shirt. that scene. Yeah. Where he literally just like, he pulls on his pants and Jane turns around like, oh my God, like I'm not only in a bedroom with my boss, but he's not wearing any pants and there's no undies. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this, this is a whole different level of vulnerability between the two of them.
1: And the, um, the way he holds her hand when he comes back mm. ooh, and the like closeness of the like, are you going to kiss?
0: Oh Oh my God, are they
1: going to kiss? And I know they're not going to, but are they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That one was done. It's a different level of sexy for me. So like this current Mm -hmm. one that we just watched, the 2011, it's like their faces are getting slowly closer and closer. They're both doing the thing where they're looking at each other's mouths. You know, they're like, ooh, that kiss, Mm -hmm, it's going to happen. It's super duper sexy on its own. And then she obviously leaves and has that cute little moment against the door in her bedroom. She's like, ooh, butterflies. Um, But in the 80s version too, It doesn't do like an almost kiss, but there is still that tension. It's just a different kind of tension. Although what I will say, I think to your side's credit, it's a little less romantic that she does generally just seem kind of scared and uncomfortable and not like she's into it. Or this movie makes it seem like she's like, oh dude, she wants that kiss. Like she definitely wants to stay, but she can't because she might get fired.
1: I think there's a layer of like move forward until making like you were sort of saying in the point that you had before. But I think- the part that I also think is is as a factor of the adaptation mm-hmm. is in the, if this was a book, we would be hearing in Jane's head that she finds him hot, right? Right? And I, so I think there's just a pure the pure adaptation, she's maybe acting the way she would have acted in the book, but we don't get to see what's happening in her head. Where yes. this, they make it more external. Because it's a movie.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So Lillian, I'm curious. I'd like to know how some of the other characters struck you because I feel the one that released it out to me as being an extreme improvement was Dame Judy Dench's Mrs. Fairfax. Oh my God, yes. Yes. No, such a sweet lady right from the start. And the fact that, because you said this in our first or second, no, in our second episode about how you're like, Jane, she didn't have to go off and be an idiot. She could have like stayed and done stuff. And I love that in this one, Mrs. Fairfax says that to her when she goes back to the burnt mm-hmm. ruins of Thornfield. She's like, I would have helped you. So I love yes. That. Every part
1: of what of Mrs. Fairfax, like for before I go into it, the cast of this is yes. spectacular. So good. So <laughs> every actor that we're going to talk about as these like more minor characters so good. Yes. Dame Judy Dench.
0: <laughs>
1: the queen. <laughs> so good. Amazing. I could go on um, about just <laughs> the concept of Jane J- Judy Dench being in this, but I don't. T- <laughs> the way that she's so much like immediately when I saw. The 83 version, my first vibes of her were like, I'd been so burned by every other person in Jane's life that I just wasn't willing to trust anymore. And so I didn't like her. And even throughout the thing, she sort of seemed like really hoity-toity and like very much representative of the rest of society and like just didn't really like her where immediately (laughs) Miss Dench, the dame, (laughs) the (laughs) The dame is just immediately so much better. Like I just immediately feel comfortable with Jane being there. She Mm -hmm. seems so much more welcoming. She like even her, the way that she describes the servants feels less, it's still condescending, but it feels less condescending. Mm-hmm. And the way that she introduces her, like the way she talks about what room she gave her yeah. is very much like, listen, they're a little fancier on this side of the house, but I find the other ones more comfortable. I hope you're okay with that. That's why I gave you this one. Mm-hmm. Even the speech that she gives to Jane about being careful with Mr. Rochester, yeah. it feels less like you probably shouldn't be dating your boss, and more like, <laughs> honey, I'm so worried you're going to get your heart broken, right? Um, and even my mom, who's sitting next to me watching this, it's the first time she says something out loud about a character in the movie. Goes, those are all super fair points.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's like oh. Did you, by any chance, happen to ask uh, your mother her kind of reaction to this that you could share? Like, what's the God- sort of third person?
1: Broad strokes, she really liked it. And she thought I was crazy for not liking Jane Eyre. And I was like, I'm going to make you watch the 83 version. And you tell me after six hours of that what you think.
0: (laughs) I agree that uh, the dame, like sort of what you touched on, she really steps in for Jane there of being this mother figure where Jane hasn't really had that person to give her advice, especially on men, but on anything to say, hey, because we assume that Mrs. Rochester, no, Mrs. Fairfax was married, and I believe her husband died, and so now she's a widow. So at least she has some experience with men and is also, you know, by being the housekeeper here at Thornfield, she has some experience just watching the society and everything and just having that insight. But yes, her trying and to look out for Jane is nice. I think that leads really well into another character
1: that while I don't like them more in this, I think is the the character feels more real and more sympathetic rather than cartoonishly villain. Esque is her aunt in this one. I love that actress. I can't remember her name. I'm gonna look it up.
0: Yeah, look it up. Um,
1: While I'm doing that, I have obviously established real strong opinions about everything in this movie. So (laughs) I want to know what
0: your thoughts are on on her aunt. So when it comes to her aunt, I so I like this portrayal way better than the '83 version. But I'm also just I love this actress. I liked how. Elegant she was. I thought those scenes where she's sitting there in that drawing room, you know, with her perfect hair and her perfect dress. And I, it really stuck out to me. She struck me with this performance as a woman who has a lot of insecurities and who is very afraid of what people think of her. And so I think when she tells Brocklehurst that Jane is deceitful, she thinks to herself, I got her like zing. What's like, that's the worst thing anyone could say about anybody. Gotcha. And then Jane turns it right back on her and she's like, I'm not deceitful. You're the one who's deceitful. I'm going to tell everybody you're a bad person. And it just like strikes her in the heart. She's like, get out of here. Cause that's her own vulnerability and her own weakness. So I thought that was really good. So it's Sally Hawkins um, is the name of the actress.
1: I from I can,
0: Paddington Bear
1: and also the shape of water. <laughs> yes. And I think the I completely agree with what you're saying about like she she seems really insecure, but I think there's subtle differences in the way they play these moments that makes her so much more sympathetic. So like obviously you don't agree with the way she's treating a child, mm-hmm. but like the way that they start her childhood is with her terrible cousin who seems much more menacing in this because he's coming at her with a sword and then he hits her into the wall with a book.
0: Yes. And that moment,
1: yeah. So that moment is more intense but no adults see that. What they right. see is Jane's very intense reaction back. Mm-hmm. And suddenly that makes all the adults so much more sympathetic because Jane is this like crazy wild thing. Like that's right. the way that she acts. And so then you don't go, okay, I'm sorry. This <laughs> kid was bullying her. She kind of freaked out. And then you put her in a torture room. Right. It's like, no, she was beating the shit out of guy. Yes. She was like, she had him on the ground and she was hitting him and he was a lot bigger than her, but she still needed to do that. And like, she does seem sort of crazy. So the reaction of you need to get her out of here. And then the overreaction of that is where yes. she loses. She it, There's an understanding as to why she would do that, but she loses our sympathy. Right. And then when she's sending her away the way that she talks about her seems so much more sane versus like the cartoonish villainy of the way that the other character talked about her mm-hmm. and the the moment of like talking about her is deceitful and after the horrible preacher man leaves the room the way that jane gives that speech Mm-hmm. feels scary. Yeah. It's like, intimidating. I was intimidated by her mm-hmm. and it made her reaction to that speech make more sense. Right. No, and I totally even, agree. And every, every moment that she's on screen, I don't, obviously I don't agree with the way this adult is treating a child, <laughs> but I understand it in a way
0: that I couldn't grasp with the other yes. ones. Right. No, I totally agree. You also touched on something that I kind of stood out to me that I didn't really pick up on before from the, the 83 version. So they walk into the room, the adults walk into the room and they just see Jane wailing on this boy and like beating him up and he's like crying for help and all this stuff. And even today, people will be like, whoa, geez, like calm down. But like back then, especially, they, she's acting out and they're viewing her as being crazy essentially and Mm -hmm. I think that draws a parallel that I hadn't picked up on before between her and Bertha where young Jane acts out and is crazy quote-unquote and they lock her in a room Bertha acts out and is we assume certifiably crazy and they lock her in a room and it's just very interesting to kind of see that where Jane later when she learns the truth she could have that sympathy for Bertha to be like I too have been quote-unquote savage but like the world deserved it you know like i'm sorry Mm -hmm. you're locked away here so although that's one thing that this movie didn't do they didn't really have jane's side of that speech where she says i do not hate her because she is mad i where i think the other version does have a little bit more of jane being like how could you do this to this lady i feel like she does kind of express a bit more sympathy for bertha's situation
1: yeah, so I do wanna I I think that leads really well into talking about Bertha yeah. and the whole way that situation plays out in this. Because while I think that Bertha doesn't like while Jane doesn't express as much sympathy for Bertha, Rochester doesn't express as much venom for her. Um, and I think the way that he tells the story makes me so much more sympathetic for him than I ever was our sweet Timmy D. So there's, there's the moment of like, when they go up into the attic, I think they did her crazy, very like her crazy aesthetic, very similar, but the actress is very clearly gorgeous, Mm, which I think gives that very, like very subtle hint to the character of like who she was when she sort of seduced Rochester. Like you can see that gorgeous woman under there you can see how she kind of seems really fine and calm at first and then she scratches his neck Mm -hmm. um and has this like moment of a break and you're hearing other people talk about her in the background while we're experiencing jane's sort of dissociative moment of like
0: oh my
1: god of like everything's kind of breaking down around her
0: and then i really if i can interrupt real quick i I really liked that that because uh, everything kind of becomes, the sound is changed in this movie in that scene where it almost feels as if she's underwater or everything is kind of echoey because she's in this moment of shock. But the things that you hear them saying about Bertha that they can't have furniture in the room because she can fashion anything into a weapon. And they've had to bar up the mm-hmm. windows because she's taken to thinking that she can fly and like jump out and do these crazy things. It's so interesting to hear these little details fed to her and she kind of hears them, but she's also so dazed by just this truth that's been thrust upon her.
1: Yep. And it doesn't feel like they're sort of dismissing her as like that bitch crazy. They're more like they it talks about this step-by-step process of how they got to this being the solution. And I think so the critical moment for me is when the the conversation that Jane has with Rochester mm-hmm. afterwards, which I think you I think you mentioned like that's a live or die for Rochester moment. Yes. I didn't really find Timmy D's speech that and sympathetic until he switches from he starts so angry, right? And then he switches to sad. Mm-hmm. And I think this Rochester with Michael Fassbender he starts sad. Like yeah. there's high emotion, but the emotion is not anger; it's right. pain and sadness. And he talks about I have it written down the exact wording that he says at one point where he he says have you ever been to a madhouse? Yes. Like this is better than that, which to me, the way that he talks about it is like, I know this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. I know this isn't a fair option for her. I lived with that for four years and it just got worse and worse. Yeah. There is no other option right now. Mm -hmm. The other option is a madhouse. I went and looked at that and I can't send her
0: there. Yeah. And it makes me a heartbreak for him in a way that I, oh, it's so sad. Oh, totally. No, I'm glad that that touched you because that's, yeah. Like I think every version that we watch, it's that scene that tells me personally, okay, is this a Rochester I can get be sympathetic for, or is this a Rochester who I do not like? It all depends on, you know, how they they do that scene. Yeah, that was that was intense. Although so you talked about him going from sadness, starting with sadness, I think it's important to emphasize that he, that fastbender is Rochester in that scene goes from sadness to almost violence and like anger. Cause mm-hmm. what the 83 version left out, which is part of the novel is when he like has his hands on Jane's throat. And he says that line where he's like, I could break you or bend you with my like thumb and forefinger or something. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of moment where he kind of loses it for a second. And it's like, I sh- could force you to stay And I think it's also supposed to be this kind of read and it's like, you know, if he gave in to his demons, he might rape Mm -hmm. her. Like, who knows what would happen? Like, he's like, you could stay here and be with me and that that would be, you can't say anything about it. But then he like falls to his knees and I really loved, okay, do you happen to know, what's the actress who plays Jane in this? Do you know her name?
1: Name, I will
0: look up, continue. Okay, whatever her name is, she did... That scene, I thought she did fabulous. I love when he's there on on his knees and he's clinging to her dress and you can see her hands like hovering and they're kind of shaking as if she's like, I don't want to touch you. Cause I think in the way I read into it, she's like, if I touch you, I'm going to give in to all of these feelings. And she says, I think something along the lines of like, God help me. And then she shoves him away and then she leaves. But I loved that body language and that acting from her. I thought that was really good.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, I can't pronounce her last name, which is terrible, but it's Mia. Uh, Mia W. <laughs> Mia w. Um, so <laughs> she, yeah, I think I, I see that. And I also think, well, I think the sadness and pain into the anger and then back to the sadness, mm-hmm. I think is what makes me more sympathetic to the anger. Like the anger is more yeah. acceptable to me when it's the second reaction. And I yes. think, because you and I've talked about this a lot, something that um, maybe in life would be a little too intense for me, but in a romance I enjoy is that passion and intensity. And Mm -hmm. you can see that passion and intensity in their relationship in that moment. And I also think that it shows, it lends more sympathy to the way that he treats Bertha even because- he knows that he could do this. He could throw Jane in an attic, right? And tell everyone, and he has enough power in this society that he could just tell everyone that Jane went crazy and no one would stop him from doing that. Right. Right. So not only could he keep her, but he could keep her with no consequences for himself because he's got a woman in his attic, Mm -hmm. but he's not. That moment is, I could do this, but I'm not going to because it's wrong. And that makes his other actions that are so easy to paint with a broad brush mm-hmm. and now would be like so deeply unacceptable, mm-hmm. but was the only good option given the context. Yeah. So much more sympathetic.
0: I really like that point. And I think we see both characters experiencing that kind of thought process in that moment because he's, you know, he's here and he's like, I could, I could keep you and I could force you here. But Jane also has this kind of temptation and she's like, I could stay. But she decides, no, I'm going to go. And he decides, I'm going to let you leave, at least kind of. He Mm -hmm. thinks, I think just then, she's leaving the room. Because obviously the next morning when she sneaks out in the night, and he does a whole beast howling from his castle as he goes to the window and screams her name. Ooh, by the way, one thing that I personally love that this movie did that I haven't seen in any other adaptation but I love when Jane is in her schoolhouse, like at the end of the film, and it's a snowy night and she hears that banging on the door. Oh, yes. And she has that momentary fantasy where she opens it and it's him and he comes in and they just start kissing and they're like, but then it like snaps to reality and oops, it's John, <laughs> <laughs> Which she yes. does not kiss, but she's just fantasizing that Rochester would come looking for her. And I yes. loved that. I loved that it gave us that moment.
1: Well, we've talked about all the things that we like. And I think uh, surely out of equality, I need to talk about the moments that we're still buck wild
0: in this. <laughs> tell, me, um, tell me your buck wild stuff.
1: So I think a most important lesson that we've learned from both adoption of Jane Eyre, and I really, I'm going to keep an eye out for this in every adoption because I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. And it's hot milk saves lives. Um, because the first thing they do, Every time Jane is sick, and specifically when she's definitely not a vagrant, but is passed out on their doorstep, um, is quickly get her some hot milk. Mm, milk. She she is ill. (laughs) We will solve it with hot milk. And it works. She perks right up. So I just, I don't know why we need doctors. Like hospitals are really expensive and we should all just drink hot milk.
0: You know, I think we just need to, um, we need to make like name tags or like necklaces that you wear. It's like when you have like a diabetic bracelet and it's like, call this number, just like wear a bracelet. And when someone's like, oh no, they've passed out. You look at the bracelet, it says administer hot milk. And you're like, oh, cool. That's what she needs.
1: Yeah. Email us if you would like some hot milk merch. Then there's another cool thing where um, they immediately accuse her of being a vagrant. Um, and then he says she's not a vagrant, and that's a that's a cool thing because I like when somebody's dying; they should at least be rich. When they're cutting back and forth between her childhood and that moment, the and her being with the with the family, and when the first time she goes downstairs with the definitely not her cousins, a really cool thing to say to someone the first time that you meet them is, "I thought we'd be escorting you to an unmarked grave." <laughs> That's like a fun bantery, like you don't know somebody, they were really sick, but the hot milk saved them and you, and they've like come out of their room for the first time with a bunch of strangers. A way to immediately make them feel comfortable and welcome is to say with what seems like a lot of seriousness, but then at the very end gets a little smile. I thought we'd be escorting you to an unmarked grave. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well you know i think uh in a world with this few access to medicine as they have and doctors you just kind of start to embrace mortality and uh be like you oh, know this lady could have died whatever happens all the time ah, but we wouldn't know what
1: to do with her body so we would have just thrown her in a hole
0: yeah because we didn't really know your name
1: <laughs> so as her childhood again like all the adults, super cool. Like they say, this is the pedestal of infamy, which I, I would like. <laughs> I would like one of those for my house. I want a pedestal of infamy. And that way when I have guests over, if I don't like any of them, because as home you and I are both homeowners now, fairly recent for both of us. Yes. And as as homeowners, we have to learn new things like you need to know whether or not your basement has radon. You need to have a pedestal of infinity. Those right. kind of things that you Where wear. When you're
0: just over someone, you're like, okay, go to the pedestal. Stand there. Nobody talk to her. She's a deceitful person. This is no shade
1: to Dame Judy Dench, who if she said this about me, mm. that would be 100% acceptable to me. Although the character she's playing, Mrs. Fairfax... It's a bit harsh. Um, (laughs) When talking about the servants, she says the same line she says in the other movie, Mm -hmm. which is one cannot talk to them on equal terms.
0: There is always prevalent this issue of class I think in this because I think part of the reason why when she's brought into the house of Sinjin and his sisters when they bring up they're like oh is she a vagrant I think they're all trying to suss out they're like is this someone that we can treat as an equal is this someone who's below us Mm -hmm. it's just something that's prevalent in everybody's mind in this time it seems so Yeah. yeah yeah what can you do I felt bad for the dame Jude uh when in this one he, I mean, I guess Rochester in the eighty-three says this too, but it, it it hurt more because it was Dame Judy Dench that he was talking about in this version. When he calls Jane to like talk to him, he's like, "I can't talk to children or simple old ladies." And it cuts to Jane, Dame Judy Dench's face, and she's like, "Well, that went a bit far." It was just like, "Yeah, ouch." She's nice, and she's probably Me, related to you.
1: Honestly, she's so much better than you, <laughs> my husband. Can't do anything. Don't even breathe the same air as our dame. You Um, are not worthy. (laughs) And um, once again, I think that this version is so much sweeter, so much nicer. Um, But also just kind of a parallel of the way that Jane was taught as um, kind of treated and taught as a child versus how um, little French girl is treated and, and taught as a
0: child. Adele, yeah.
1: Adele, thank you. <laughs> um, <welcome. laughs> the The moment where like they're meeting and stuff, the dame is so nice and sweet about her, like m- much more curious in a like adult wondering about a child way mm-hmm. and not in a what an odd thing to be in this house way. But The moment that kills me is this (laughs) little French girl. They give her so long to, with no music, sing her song and dance around. And then the three adults in the room, instead of doing what you would for sure do if a little kid just sang, which is like applaud and be like, great job. You did an attempt. Mm -hmm. They're all dead silent. Not even Jane smiles. None of them react (laughs) until after a few beats, the dame goes how a very french
0: So I I agree with you that that's like, it's like, Ooh, savage. But so I think what I read into that, because especially what we learn from the way Rochester talks about Adele's mother and Adele said before she does her little song, she's like, Oh yes, I would come and I would sit on men's laps who came to see my mother. I know creepy, very creepy. And then she sings this song and she's with her little dance moves. I feel as if their stunned silence kind of says to them, Whoa, you should not have been dancing and singing like this in front of grown men who coming to probably pay your mother for sex like i think that's where the stunned silence comes from so i understand that that's kind of setting in for them well
1: and the statement of how very french when coming from an English person, I sort of always interpret as like a little too free, maybe a little too sexual. Right.
0: <laughs> I really liked seeing this Jane was so much more affectionate with Adele than in the previous version we saw. Like I loved seeing her like holding her. It's like this Jane can hold Adele in her lap and like read her stories and tell her about spooky like monsters. And it's super cute. Um, But I I loved that. And I thought it was really nice to see that kind of I don't know, that closeness and Jane having someone to care for. And so I liked that a whole lot.
1: Uh, Yeah. And a couple other little things that I, so I also have my, my cool section of like things that I would like to be said about me. Good company, except when in ill humor.
0: Mm, Yep. (laughs) Fair. I love you until I don't.
1: (laughs) I love you unless you're like not like kind of hungry and then, um, or if a horse fell on you earlier, no, when I'm stressed about like what I'm wearing, like, I think maybe I'm underdressed for a party. Um, just make sure to remind me that I shouldn't worry. Cause no one would notice, um, just like really quick drive home that I'm unimportant. Mm-hmm. If you, if you need me to like leave a room and this is a thing that Rochester says to the, to the women visiting his house is return to your nest little doves that you are. Um, that's a cool thing to say to me and then you were born to be my torment Mm. that's like if I'm really pissing you off go ahead and say that one and then I don't remember the context of this should have written it down but I also feel like you can say in any context to me which is those words are unfeminine and untrue
0: yes Oh my God, Sinjin, that jerk. I sent you uh, a a meme that I found on Pinterest, which we will surely share on our social at some point. And it's just Sinjin and he's like, nah, you weren't made for love. Trust me, babe. <laughs> and it's just like, yes. on oh, this? Savage jerk. Which one thing I thought was so fucking funny? Jane is trying to friend zone him so hard when he asks her the second time out on the moor by her house or her school to come with him to India, and she just keeps calling him brother, trying to be like, "Can you please pick up on this?" That's how I see you. She's like, "But you're my brother, but bro, but Broski, (laughs) a. No, I don't want to marry you. Don't you get it, dude? (laughs) Like, and he's like, "No, you will be my wife, and we'll maybe have love, but maybe not." Screw you, I suck.
1: (laughs) And I I think the voice on the wind, again, like similar to the laughter, much more subtle in this, but she seems crazy as she wanders away. I I want to talk a a little bit about the costumes, and then I want to hear what you think of the very ending. Um, but I think the costumes were so well done in this. Um, I think there's such a clear difference in what she's wearing when she's the governess versus Mm -hmm. when she's rich. Yes. Um, and most specifically, and my mom and I did talk about this during the movie, the bonnet she wears at the end.
0: That's what I loved the best too. Best
1: bonnet of, I loved the bonnets in the last one. They were such character builders in the 83. <laughs> this bonnet, this last bonnet blew every bonnet out of the water and had, and was like the thing my mom said gets hundred percent credit to Lisa Cotter. She goes, at least she's spending her money well.
0: Yes, dude. No, I agree. And I love that that's what you picked up on, too. I was like, damn, okay, I want that. I would wear it at any event that I could. It's so pretty. I, it says to me, too, that like Jane has taste and she has like good taste in fashion. She just didn't have the money to afford it before. So now that she's got some dough, she's like, okay, now I can finally be the influencer I was meant to be.
1: Yes. And the way that she comments on her dresses with like, she doesn't have the right kind of dresses for that throughout the the movie and then at the end she's got a cool dress and if you uh, the detailing on that dress Mm -hmm. matches the bonnet in a way that makes me go yes girl yes you did it (laughs) you got money and you're spending it right
0: It's so good. I agree. (laughs) So before we touch on the ending, one thing I just have to mention that I love that this version included that from what I hear is in the novel that they didn't do in the 83 version. So they have their, their passionate uh, proposal scene underneath this tree. And then while they, they go into the house to go make out, then that night lightning hits the tree and splits it in half. That like happens in this movie. They come out the next day and you see the tree is cracked and the, the, tree people arborists are working on it (laughs) and I'm like yeah that's like the fiery passion of their love that's the gothic symbolism they love each other so much that lightning splits this tree and rips it asunder so I loved that
1: (laughs) that's so good that's
0: (laughs) where we find him sitting at the end with his pilot who by the way struck me as looking rather similar to Ruth oh that's nice very different coloring. Different coloring, but the same kind of facial structure. Ruth, Ruth is, is
1: my dog.
0: Lily's um, dog.
1: For millions of listeners wondering, tell me about this other dog, because um, most <laughs> everybody's here for the dog content. Oh, yeah. um, I did. I did note down a, a flaw mm-hmm. of this film is that there's not a lot of pilot. Nope. I could use some more pilot. We hear him barking. We don't, and the horse. Seem, we only see him running after the horse in the distance. Right. We, we pilot a total of three times, Steph. but he is in the happy happily ever after moment, which is the most the most important part of a happily ever after moment. You have a dog.
0: Yes, a man with his dog. So if we can touch on that, I think that. Timothy Dalton's blind and maimed Rochester looks way better than (laughs) Fassbender. He looks like a hobo. He's got this big scraggly beard. They also let him keep his hand so he's able to cup her face from both sides. Yeah, but that was pretty
1: important, that one that
0: made the kiss better. That is nice. It is very nice. I mean, it is rather hilarious i think in the dalton version when he like literally just holds up his stove and he's like what about this and she's like i don't care dude whatever (laughs) yeah let him keep a hand and he doesn't have a big gnarly scar he just has like blind eye but yeah his beard was kind of maybe his disability (laughs) (laughs) i think it's
1: i think the beard is more speaking to the fact that he didn't he sort of let himself go because i one of the things that i felt was really different in this That I think worked because of how they broke up the story. Because so much of that distance between her leaving and him and her coming back, so much of that story is told at the front of the movie that there's not a lot that happens between those moments. So we don't need to see them like, oh my God, they're still in love. Cause of course they're still in love. Cause I'm not over it. So you're not over it. And so, like, there's no, there's no need to kind of build that story back up again. And there's like, there's no way we would question for a second whether or not she's going to get back with him. Um, And so there's very little of that plot that happens between her finding out what happened and the fire and Dame Judy Dunn should be the only one allowed to tell that story because she did it so well. Then there's literally just her walking up to him at a tree.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the them- same tree that got struck mm-hmm. by lightning because of the yep. power of their love.
1: Yes. Yay. Um, And the way that she takes his hand and then like they barely say anything. And then they kiss in the movies over. And I'm not worried about them at all. Nice. I think they're very much in love and
0: they're very happy. And great news. Beards can be shaven off yes it can but this movie does not lead us to believe that his eyesight can return which other versions tell us happens so he as far as we know watching this film with no other information is blind forever and well, that's great for them and if
1: you lose it <laughs> if you keep your hand you your eyesight's gone forever and that's the trade-off that we all know that Rochesters make at the beginning of their
0: timeline it's true it's true you have to kind of pick that token at the beginning before you enter the game so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> Lillian we've just gone through the second version of this uh, of what is to hopefully be 50 or more versions that lie ahead of us i think it's safe to assume that you you liked this way better than the first one do you oh (laughs) i'm so glad that there's a version that could get you a little more excited about this any closing thoughts before we do our ratings
1: yeah i i think
0: a big flaw
1: was less pilot i've talked about that i i do think that um the bonnet i will rate Uh, before I rate the overall show, 10 out of 10. No better bonnet. This is the bonnet to beat.
0: Agreed. How about you? We could see one better than that. Uh, Yeah, I would say this is a great adaptation for a more modern audience. Way easier to get hooked on these people. Great performances. Uh, I thought it was very, very good. I liked it a whole lot. I still have a bias myself for the, uh, the tall Welsh giant that is Timmy D, but this was pretty darn good. So if we want to jump into our ratings, okay. I think, so last time I rated, I used Timmy D's. So I, oh man, I meant to look up what I said for the last one. I think I said five or six out of 10. I think I'm going to give this one a 7.5 Timmy D's out of 10. Whoa, you're yeah. still rating it out of Timmy D's? Well, I guess that's the only skill that matters to you. That's that's my thing. That's just not going to be my basis. It doesn't mean he's not a part of this. This is just kind of my, my token of choice.
1: <laughs> okay. So I can't, I also can't remember. I want to say it was a
0: five. Yeah. And you used Pilots last time.
1: Yes. And this time I'm writing on a new scale because Ooh. I don't think it's fair to rate this on Pilots because he was so infrequently in the film. And so that would be, that would really bias the rating. True. I said nine out of 10 bonnets. Oh, beautiful. Very nice. Um, and I really almost did a 10,
0: Ooh. but I think
1: I was riding high on how low my expectations were going in because I was very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that there's an opportunity for it to even be better.
0: Oh, yes. um, yeah. There is a another BBC miniseries version. It's much shorter. And that, I think, technically is the best of the ones that I've seen thus far. I think that one, when we watch it, it might get a 10 out of you, but time will tell. But on that note, for those of you who are interested in the next version that we're going to watch and want to watch it with us, from what my research has told me, uh, you can find this for free in a lot of services, but our next adaptation we will be watching is the 1997 movie version. The guy who plays Rochester, I can't think of the actor's name, but I know him from... He was in Game of Thrones. He played the dude who united all of the wildlings. Do you remember that guy's name, Lillian? You're big. I'm looking him up right now. Oh, I can't say that. I know. (laughs) Syrian Hines. Sure, that sounds right. Do that. Syrian Hines. Uh, He played the guy who united all the wildlings. A big man, which I'm, I'm all for. A big thing for me visually with the story is just like, what does he look like? And how much taller slash broader is he than the woman he's in love with? <laughs> yes, which matters so much. Um, yeah, you, and you need to have a big frame so you can completely envelop the woman that you love when you hold her in your arms and you're like, you're not leaving me, damn it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I think this is going to be the key difference between this and the previous versions is that you have not seen this. This is going to be your first watch of I've it. I've not um, seen this one. But you did immediately say, as we were looking at the poster, um, he looks very grumpy. So we're (laughs) anticipating a grumpy Rochester.
0: Very, very grumpy. Just looks mad. So that'll be hard to fall in love with a very grumpy man, but we will see. I, for one, am willing to give it a shot.
1: (laughs) If people want to stalk us on the internet, Piper, how do they get in contact with us and how do they stalk us on the
0: internet? Oh my gosh. Well, we now have social media. Thank you to the social media queen that is Lillian, uh, the co-host of this fabulous show. She has put all of her professional talents to use. She's created us a website. She has created us an Instagram, which is at AirBuds. She's created us a Twitter, which is at AirBuds. You can also email us, uh, AirBuds at gmail.com. So (laughs) there's so many ways to engage, guys. Yeah, you you can... You can message us. You can find us everywhere. We are around. We are accessible via the internet. It's so true. And we have such a backlog of memes and hysterical comments and posts to share with you all. So better follow because it's going to be a ride. (laughs) I think that's all for now. We've done it. Our second version and uh, time to go rest up before we once again dive into this madness with a very grumpy Rochester. thank you so much we'll see you later bye